0: We have two Bible readings this morning. One is taken from the book of Proverbs, from chapter 3, and commencing to read at verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your prayer to act. Do not say to your neighbour, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you, when you already have it with you. Do not plot harm against your neighbour, who lives trustfully near you, Do not accuse anyone for no reason, when they have done done you no harm. Do not envy the violent, or choose any of their ways. For the Lord detests the perverse, but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favour to the humble and the oppressed. The wise inherit the honour, but the fools only shame. And then over to Ephesians, and Ephesians chapter five, commencing to read at verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they, <clears throat> but they fed and cared for their own body just as Christ does for the church for we are for we are members of his body for this reason a man will take will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and the two will become the one flesh this is a profound mystery but i'm talking about Christ and the church however each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect the husband children Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them, not not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your hearts. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven And there is no favoritism with him. Amen. I'll keep that. Thanks, Al. Thank Thank you.
1: Good morning. I've got to confess, I haven't brought the healthiest and best version of myself to you this morning, so uh, you might have to bear with me a little bit as we journey through Ephesians. Let's take a moment to pray and ask God that he might lead us, and uh, give me voice to serve us, and we'll see how we go together. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can always trust it. We thank, that you'll thank you that your word is good father we ask that your holy spirit be with us now that he would govern my words that they might be true to your words moreover lord we pray that your holy spirit would govern our hearts (coughs) that we might receive your word uh, with thanksgiving heavenly father we ask by your holy spirit that as we leave that you might lead us in acting upon your word for as we have learnt, father We have been saved by grace through faith and that faith leads us to walk in the good works that you have prepared for us to do and so father we pray that it may be so in Jesus name amen all right let me ask you a question is it a long drive to Brisbane (laughs) if you said yes I agree with you if you said it depends I agree with you even more if you said no then maybe you live on the Gold Coast. Is it a far drive to Brisbane? Depends where you start from, right? If you're starting from here, then it probably is. Unless you're a long-haul truck driver who would say, that's nothing. Darwin, that's a far drive. You know, you might say it's it's not that big a deal. Um, It depends where you start. And it depends what experiences you might bring to the occasion will determine your answer to, is it a long drive to Brisbane? You know the same is true when you read a tricky passage. And let's be honest with each other, it's a tricky passage. Or smart people, way smarter than, well, dare I say, me or any of us, um, highly credentialed, wouldn't debate it. It's hard. It's tricky. Um, and the application, well, that's another story. But where you start makes a significant difference how you'll respond. So is it a far drive to Brisbane? if you believe it's a far drive, you're going to make certain preparations and equip your vehicle and yourself and have certain expectations, all those sorts of things. Depending on where you start, what experiences you bring, indeed where you start in the text, will affect the way you read Ephesians. It's my prayer this morning that as I lead us, we might be starting in a good space. The space I'm going to start from is dependent upon, dependence upon God's Holy Spirit to reveal truth, hence my prayer. Um, I'm going to start with the belief that God's Word is authoritative over all things, regardless of what experiences I've had. And I'm also going to confess to you that uh, after a number of years of starting in particular places in this passage, that changed in my study this week, and I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But as I studied Ephesians 5 and 6, here is the message as I understand it, the big idea that I'd like us to learn this morning. You'll see it on the screen. It's to be filled with the Spirit is to be revealing and sealing. To be filled with the Spirit is to be revealing and sealing. What I mean by that is to be filled with the Spirit is to be one who declares Christ's and to be filled with the Spirit is to be one who is sealed or unified in Christ. And that is consistent throughout this whole lesson. So let's talk about what it is to be Spirit-filled and why I'm starting there. Now, over time, as people have studied this passage, and indeed as we think about what it means for husbands and wives, we come with certain experiences, and we come with certain feelings, and we come with certain what-ifs, means that we've got to work out where do we start. Do we start from that case of, do we start from I feel this, do we start with God's Word? I'm going to say let's start with God's Word. But where in God's Word and here's where things have changed for me and for many. Uh, if you're an NIV reader, which you are because Alan just read the NIV for us, the previous version of the NIV, the 1984 I think it was, starts this particular section and chapter headings can be an absolute blessing and an absolute curse because they make us sometimes read the Bible like it's a newspaper, as if over the page and we're onto something completely new. This is a story, this is a letter, this is an argument that's unfolding and so once upon a time our trusty NIVs started this passage at verse 22, wives submit to your husbands. 2011 and the translation we read now will rewound a bit to where I previously was starting the reading at verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And if you are, if you read the Bible on your phone, you can do a little trick, go to, and you use a U version, just go into the different versions and you'll see how different versions swap around trying, this is why they're called standard versions, because they're trying to do a helpful to all people. But sometimes we've got to dig in and Forgive me, I'm going to get a little bit technical with us at times this morning as I try to help us see what's before us. Where do we start? We start with God's Word. And as someone who, for the last 20 years or so, started at verse 21, I realized this week I've been making a mistake. Number one, start with the overall concept of Ephesians. Number two, where does this particular thought bit start? It starts in verse 18, as Alan read for us. Rewind to verse 18 and you will read. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, here's the new life for you. Here's what you're meant to be as you live a life worthy of the calling that you have. Here's the life of faith, That is, prepared to walk in the works God has prepared for you ahead of time. Here is that you've been made alive in Christ, not any longer dead in sin and transgression. Here's the big idea. Be filled with the Spirit. This is as big a concept as I can share with you this morning. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel 2, that in that day I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, men and women, maid maidservants and, and male servants, and all people, your sons and daughters. This is the big event that happened at Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit was poured out that all believers might receive him. This is the big event that Jesus brings because we've been sanctified or made holy. This is the big deal event. To be filled with the Spirit. So this, you can see how sometimes the feelings and the what will that mean can highlight different parts of the passage, but the big idea is be filled with the Spirit. This is a much larger concept. Moreover, grammatically, this is the command. This is announced to us with what's called an imperative verb. Imperative verbs are what we use to make requests or to give commands. When God's speaking, it's a command. God says, be filled with the Spirit. I'll tell you when we get to the next imperative verb in the passage, it's probably later than you think. The big idea is be filled with the Spirit, verse 18. And to be filled with the Spirit is to be revealing and sealing, as I've said. So, now that we know we're meant to be filled with the Spirit, that's the headline... Surely we ask ourselves the question, well, what will that be looking like? What will it look like to be filled with the Spirit? I summarize to be filled with the Spirit is to be about revealing and sealing. To be filled with the Spirit is to be someone who declares Christ and lives in the unity of Christ. (coughs) It's been the message of Ephesians throughout. Ephesians from the beginning says, we've received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. What does that mean? It means the work of the Spirit was to make it so that the blessings of heaven have been revealed to you in Christ. They've been shown. God said, this is who I am in Christ. Uh, we, we, We read in chapter 1 verse 10, which is a programmatic verse for the whole book, that all things are going to be united or held together in Christ. This is about sealing or unifying or holding together. You might have noticed the funny little word that pops up from time to time in Ephesians, and it popped up today as well, mystery. The idea of a mystery is something unknown in this context that has now been made known or revealed. Christ is the one who, sent by the Holy Spirit or empowered by the Spirit, has revealed God's plan for bringing all things together, Jew and Gentile, and how he'll overcome that dividing wall of hostility. Uh, Jesus is the one who reveals the mystery of how sinner can now be called saint. Jesus is the one who reveals how heaven and earth can be held together. To be spirit-filled is about revealing Declaring Christ to be spirit-filled is about sealing, being united in Christ as all things are held together in Messiah. And what Paul does for us in Ephesians is he goes on and talks to us a little more about what that's going to look like. To be revealing and sealing, he teaches us about what that will look like in our fellowship. And then specifically what that will be looking like in our homes that's where it gets spicy. (coughs) So you ready to jump in? Let's go. All right. Revealing and sealing. Be spirit-filled is the big idea. Let's jump forward, Philip. Be spirit-filled by revealing and sealing in fellowship. How will that look? Well, it will be all about speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see this is about revealing and sealing? Let me show you. Firstly, we get this language of speaking. not an imperative verb. Our imperative verb is be filled by the Spirit. Be Spirit-filled. That's what we're commanded to do. Here we have a different part of speech called a participle, and this starts to describe to us what it's going to look like to be spirit-filled, to be speaking. We're going to be people who are speaking what? Psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. We're going to be revealing the truths of God. And Jesus said these truths, these psalms, these words were about Him. To be spirit-filled is to be declaring the truths of Jesus to one another. Uh Uh-oh, did we sin? Are we sinning right now? Because I'm doing some declaring, but I don't hear you. When you walked in this morning, did you walk in saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in one? And someone else walked in saying, Uh, Blessed is the one who doesn't sit in the council of mockers. And someone else walked in saying, You will not abandon your holy one to decay. And someone else walked in saying, As the deer pants for the water. You weren't all saying Psalms. The one another is what you might call asymmetrical at this point. This is not an expectation from God that we will all be chattering, and that's the language of speaking, to be chattering, to all be chattering at once, psalms and songs and, and all this sort of thing but we understand that to be spirit-filled means that in the shape of our gathering these are the things that will occur and there'll be a time where one is speaking and will be listening and then someone else might speak and will be listening and not everyone will speak it's asymmetrical in that sense it's not a case of everyone should be talking at once or everyone needs to be talking I know who shouldn't be talking, but that's another case. No, it's, it's asymmetrical in that way. We're going to reveal Christ. Now, do you notice as well that as we're revealing Christ, where it comes from, it comes from my heart, it comes from your heart, the seat of our conviction, to the Lord, always giving thanks to God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a, this is a space of sealing or union. We speak to one another because we are united in him, And we speak from our heart to the Lord, giving thanks to God in Christ. This is a celebration of both a vertical and a horizontal union. To be spirit-filled is to be revealing and sealing. To be revealing Christ and living in participation of the union we now have with God in Christ with one another, vertical and horizontal. This is the shape of a spirit-filled place revealing and sealing but this isn't the only spirit-filled place we want our homes to be spirit-filled places as well and so paul goes on and says here's how it looks at home he introduces this in verse 21 where he says submitting to one another out of reverence for christ again it's important to follow the pattern of the conversation what's the big command be spirit filled what will it look like well there was a participle that told us it'll be all about speaking that is declaring and being unified and it will also be about submitting this is not an imperative verb but this is about the shape of what our fellowship at home will look like it will be can i put it this way It'll be a shape or a pattern of responding to God's good order, to responding with delights to God's good order, to subjecting ourselves to God's good order and seeing that this is good for us. One of the things that's important to recognize, just as speaking is asymmetrical, that is, we don't all have to speak, submitting is asymmetrical. And Here's where my view has changed a little bit in the last week. I previously thought this was a space where God is saying to us, so we're all meant to submit to one another. That's not quite right, according to the language. Indeed, what we have here is a concept that the shape of us will be to delight in the fact that God's created an order. And there'll be a space where we need to submit ourselves to that order. A space to embrace that order as God has aligned us. So let's look at the order. And here's where it gets more spicy. What are we to delight in? What can we say? Let's read. Wives, submit yourselves to your your own husbands. Now, truthfully, this word submit is not there in the original text, but it's right for us to translate with it there. It's implied. It, again, is not an imperative. It's a participle. Wives submitting to your husband, to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. What can't we say? When it gets tricky, I always find it's helpful to go with what can't we say first. We can't say, hey, you know what? I'm starting from a different space, so let's change what God has said at this point. Let's change this to suggest that God doesn't design marriage to be between two different binary genders. We can't say, and I don't think we should say, that those genders are exactly the same. They're equal, but they're different. Now some very godly and very clever scholars would say uh, the way we should see genders is uh, what they call egalitarian. They're the same. They're equal and the same. But that doesn't make sense of a text like this. Instead, what we want to see is that these genders are complementary. They're equal, but they're different. And they have different, ro- different roles under God. So we, we can't really change that. It's not our space to change that. What else can't we do? Well, we can't ignore. We can't read this and say, yeah, I'm not really down with that. Uh, I wanna do something different. We can't ignore that God has this pattern of a household where wives will delight, wives will delight in responding and subject themselves and be submissive to God's good order. And we can't ignore that God's called upon men to be the head of the wife. We can't ignore those things, we can't can't say that, we can't say that that's not true. We have to say that that is true. We also can't say, see, God's telling wives to obey husbands. We can't say that, because that language is not there. The language of obedience is not there. Now I know some of you might have got married under a vow such as that, but we don't use that order anymore because the language is not there. There is not the language of obeying. We can't say, see, a man is the head of the house and therefore he's the boss. That language is not there. So what can we say? What can we say about this idea of delighting in responding to God's good order, to have a pattern of submissiveness and to see husbands as heads? Let's talk about what this idea of wives submitting to your husband, to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord might look like. This is a space of joyful celebration of God's good order. And sometimes it means, in fact, I'm sure often it means entrusting to maybe deny oneself, which is the pattern of Christianity, right? But one of the ways that I find this helpful to think about that may just de-intensify it for a moment, is to think about giving. Why do you give at church? If your reason is because I'm obliged to, then keep your money today. I don't want it. You're not obliged to. If your reason is because I celebrate God, I know that He's provided all things, and I sacrificially, you know, I could use this for other stuff, but I sacrificially give these funds back to God, and I joyfully give these funds back to God, then go ahead and participate in worshipping God through giving. For the Lord loves a what giver? Cheerful giver. In the same way the Lord loves cheerful submission. This is not God's space where he says I delight in coercion. No. This is not a space where there can be a demand to submit. The, The imperative verb's not there. That's not God's design. God's design is be submissive in that your shape, your posture is to delight that God has put someone with you as a head. And I'll come to that in a moment. And you respond to that with delight. What this does not mean, and this is probably the strongest thing I'm going to say this morning, is that in all cases, in all places, a wife must be commanded to submit to her husband. I am aware that in the Christian church there have been times where cases of coercive, controlling behaviours have been in a household and wives have been abused. And I'm aware that in the face of that, some good and godly leaders trying to follow God's word have said to a woman you need to go back and submit to your husband now I have good confidence that that counsel was given with best intentions but I'm going to tell you that counsel was wrong and if you received that counsel at some stage or a friend received that counsel if you're watching at home and you received that counsel can I offer you my apology as a representative of the Christian church that was not right that was wrong that was incorrect my assumption is it wasn't malicious. I'm sure someone was trying to serve you and honor God's word, but it wasn't right. It wasn't right. And I'm really sorry that that happened. This is about a joyful surrender. And it's a joyful surrender out of reverence for Christ. So if surrendering to another human means that you would allow what what belongs to Christ, that is you, to be abused, damaged, or ruined then you've allowed a human to be your god rather than christ to be your god that's not what paul is calling for here this is not what god is calling for this is about a joyful surrender to god's good plan so what is god's good plan well it's that a husband is the head of a wife well then what does that mean that husbands are the head of wife heads of wife well god's really given us a good uh explanation of that because he says The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Ah, now we're going to get an insight to headship. As Christ is the head of the church. How is he the head of the church? Well, it's explained here. This is his body of which he is the saviour. He is the revealer and he is the sealer. He is the one that brought God to the church, said, this is your God. He is the one who brought the blessings of heaven to the church and said, this is your God. He is the one that brought life and said, come and live in it when the church was dead. He is the one who united the church to himself and said, this is now my body. Headship is about revealing and sealing. It's about revealing Christ and being sealed in union with another in Christ. Now let's continue and we'll learn more about what that looks like. Uh, Let's go to the next one. Thanks, Philip. Guess what? Remember when I told you about imperative verbs? Be filled with the Spirit. We're about to hit the next one. We haven't hit one until this point. Here's the next imperative verb, the next command. Husbands, love your wives in the same way that Christ loved the church. Let's read this. And gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain wrinkle or blemish but holy and blameless this is the language of revealing this is like he he washed her in the Word. He revealed God. He gave himself over. When Christ gave himself over, he doesn't just fix the problem of sin. The Bible consistently tells us, including Ephesians, that his giving of himself was a demonstration of God's love. This was how he revealed God's love into a world that is broken and hurts. And sometimes you say to yourself, where is God? Does he really love us? Well, Christ revealed God's love when he gave. Gave himself. This is headship. This is headship. This is loving your wife just as Christ did. What did Christ do? He gave himself. He presented her holy. He led in holiness. He brought the blessings of heaven down. What does a husband who loves his wife do? He brings the best blessing he can to her. What did Christ do? He's seated us with him in the heavenly realms. A husband who loves his wife or is ahead, as Christ is ahead, lifts his wife up, empowers her, and puts her forward. And as Christ ascended, he descended and gave gifts. A husband who loves his wife empowers his wife's gifts. What did Christ do? He overcame the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile to make one church. What does a husband who is ahead of his wife do? He overcomes, I know this doesn't happen in your marriage, but sometimes in mine it happens. Sometimes there's a dividing wall of hostility. Headship is about being the one who overcomes the dividing wall of hostility. What did Christ do? He is the original master of get over yourself. Let me jump out of Ephesians into Philippians. For being in very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. But instead he emptied himself. Technical term, got over himself and made himself a servant, even dying. Was that fair? No, that wasn't fair. Is it always going to be fair? No, it's not always going to be fair. Take Jesus as your lead. What else did Christ do? He reconciled the church to himself. Husbands, what's our duty to reconcile? Now, you might rightly say, surely this is the responsibility of all Christians, isn't it? And you'd be right. So what's particular about a husband? My guess is what Christ did. When we were dead in sin and transgression, he made us alive. Take the initiative. Take the initiative. This is headship. Go first. Jesus did not wait for your repentance. He graciously acted first. He first surrendered his life. He gifted you faith. He made you alive. He brought you to himself. He took the initiative. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Go first. In all the things Jesus does, be the one who steps in first. There's some work to do, just like Jesus. This is the language of revealing. But also it's the language of sealing. Let's continue in the passage. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body. Right? Yeah. I'm not in deep like with my body right now. One, it's got a cold, that sucks. Two, I'm not quite the lean, mean racing machine I have been in the past. And so when I have a shower, I go, Dierksy, what have we become? And so you know what I do? When I've mowed the lawn and I'm really hot and I come inside, I deny myself a drink. When I'm really puffed from walking up a hill, i say, nope, you can't have an extra big breath of air. (coughs) Of course I don't do that. There's a natural impulse in me that though I might not like my body or think it's in its best shape or condition, I'm just inclined to love it. When it gets thirsty, I give it a drink. When it's hungry, I feed it, maybe too much these days. If I'm underwater for a long time, when I come up from underwater, I go (gasps) and take a big breath. I know that from time to time something can go really sadly wrong in someone's mind and they might damage their own body. I know that that can happen. I would contend that even in the case when someone's in a space that they would harm themselves, if harm came against them, that is, let's say someone was on their way to harm themselves, if someone came and wanted to attack them, I suspect they would still defend themselves. Because there's a natural inclination of your own body to love it and protect it. What does headship mean? That now that natural inclination has become for your wife. As Christ has called the church his body, so the husband calls the wife's body his body. He lives to protect it. He lives to love it. He lives to look after it. And so the scripture goes on to say, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and the two will become one flesh. They'll be one. They'll become one flesh. How is that going to be? Well, as we continue, here comes our favorite Ephesians word. (laughs) Let's go to the next one. Thanks, Philip. This is a profound mystery. How do a man and a woman who are different, equal but different, how do they become one flesh? How can I have this impulse that wants to protect you in this way? it's in christ this language of mystery has been throughout ephesians how can heaven and earth come together in christ how can jew and gentile come together in christ how can holy god and sinful me come together in christ how can man and woman come together in such a profound way that his life will be for her that he will be the head and she will act with delight to that in christ he is the one who brings all things together and that's why chapter 1 verse 10 talks about all things being united in the Messiah. This is what he does for us. This is why our marriages are meant to reflect God's love for his church. This is why our marriages are a space where we can be spirit-filled if we will be about revealing and sealing. Guys, it's a big job, I know, I delighted in hearing from, from a single man this week as I talked through this. He was, oh, I'm not sure I want to get married if it's all about that. I loved it. He got it. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, it's a big trust exercise to submit yourself to that. But I'm talking about Christ and his church. I'm talking about trusting in the one who loves us. Being spirit-filled is about revealing and sealing. Uh, Very quickly now. uh, Wait, before I go on to very quickly, I'm sorry, there are so many things that are tricky to explain that I want to make sure we understand what is said. I'd love to say more about so what we do, but that's why we have life groups. So please chat about this sort of stuff. But there are some things I need to say as well. Um, Maybe you're sitting here and you hear this stuff and you go, I'm not that. I'm not that kind of husband or I'm not that kind of wife. May God's grace be with you. Grace is a space for change. May God's grace be with you. May God's people be with you. Get together with another husband. Get together with another wife. That is wife with wife, husband with husband. And chat. And coach one another. Iron sharpens iron. And pray and move forward. Maybe you're thinking, He's not like that. She's not like that. God's gift is fellowship. Again, maybe you're thinking, my husband's just not like that and he's not here even hearing this. You could perceivably catch up with another couple. If you're a wife, don't go and talk to another man about this. That's tricky ground. But talk to another couple. I go, can you help? And maybe... In God's providence, there might be a space for the husband in that couple to have a chat and meet up and with grace being the space for change, coach one another and spur one another onto love and good deeds or vice versa with wives. This is a space where we can help and coach one another, not just go, well, I'm not like that, it's, it's done for me. No, let grace be the space for change. Let's give to one another and coach one another in, in better things that we might be spirit-filled And we might be revealing and sealing. I'm going to make a decision now and not teach you about slaves and masters because otherwise this talk will go a little bit too long. Will you forgive me if I do that? Please, I'm sick. (laughs) I'm going to let that go and uh, maybe in God's grace we'll talk about that again another day. But spirit-filled is about revealing and sealing. And we see that in how our our households can work, and how our fellowship can work.